Publisher Podcast, episode 95. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Publisher Podcast. I'm Alexa Bigworth, the host, and this week is an interesting look at all things related to how you decide to publish your book. I'm talking with Carol Saller, who is a contributing writer for the Chicago Menu of Style Um She's one of the contributing writers to the Chicago Menu of Style Fiction Shop Talk, uh, where they dig into all kinds of topics around um, things that writers need to know. But she's also published several books in different genres. She's an editor. She has um, got all kinds of experience in the industry. So we talk about what route to publishing is right for you, whether you should self-publish or go through traditional or hybrid. We talk about working with editors. We talk about all kinds of things, tips for submitting a, a manuscript to an agent. So there's all kinds of tidbits in this, as well as some great resources for you. And I think you're gonna learn quite a bit from this episode, so enjoy the show. As always, if you are enjoying our show, I would really like it if you would uh, leave us a review, if you would share the podcast, if you would subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and all of those fun things. So we appreciate you and be sure to check out all of our upcoming events at womeninpublishingsummit.com. We have a full schedule of webinars and workshops and trainings each month. So all right, for real this time, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Publish Her Podcast, a place where you can come to get inspiration, motivation, help, encouragement, and support in your journey to write, publish, and sell your book. Hosted by Alexa Bigwarf. Cause I've been where you've been, and I felt what you're feeling, and I don't want to get in your way. Welcome back to another episode of the Publish Her Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about which route you should pursue in publishing, self-publishing, hybrid, traditional, and um, getting into if you are going to go the traditional route or even a hybrid in some cases, how to submit your manuscript and some of the common mistakes that, or some of the common mistakes that authors make when submitting their manuscript. So my guest today is Carol Soller. Her books include The Subversive Copy Editor and several books for children. She has been and she is a professional writer and a copy editor who for many years has worked on the team of the Chicago Manual of Style. Her young adult historical novel, Eddie's War, was named a best book of the year by Bank Street and Kirkus Reviews and a best of the best fiction for teens by the Chicago Public Library. Her picture book, The Bridge Dancers, received the Carl Sandburg Award for Children's Literature. George Washington Carver was an NCSS slash CBC notable, and Pug, Slug, and Doug the Thug was the main feature on the PBS Storytime television. Now in its second edition, the subversive copy editor was, was Publishers Weekly. I am having a hard time today. Publishers Weekly Online starred pick of the week. So... Basically, you've got a lot of writing and editing experience and with really good books of your own. So thank you so much for being with us today, Carol. Oh, I'm glad to be here. So your books, are you self-published, traditionally published, which a little bit of both? What was your route? Well, all of my books are traditionally published, but I'm um, making a transition now into self-publishing and it's kind of scary <laughs> and kind of exciting 
um, because I've worked in publishing my whole adult life, I, I, I know quite a lot about it, but even so I'm finding that, that it's, um, that I hit roadblocks constantly and have to learn something and things change constantly. So I really, my heart goes out to someone wanting to do either traditionally or self-publish who doesn't know anything about the process. Yeah. It's a big process. So what made you decide to switch? And I hear this a lot. I hear of authors who start traditionally and then self-publish. What made you decide to, to go that route? Yeah. Well, I'm certainly open to both, but basically I have not been able to get an agent in order to sell the books that I've been writing lately. Even though I'm a published writer with contacts in publishing, I'm telling you, it's the wild west out there. And and I've tried for three or four years now without luck to get an agent. And without an agent, you really can't traditionally publish children's books. Um, So it's not ideal to to self-publish middle grade novels, which is what I'm writing. Um, it means I have to change my goals and expectations. But on the other hand, I'm very excited about it because it allows me to move ahead, even in a more modest way. And um, and I'm I'm uh, happy to talk about all the different factors that um, not not my own personal journey, which isn't that maybe applicable to everyone's, but more generally how people would decide which way to go. Well, let's do that. Let's let's just dig right into that. How how does one make that decision? Okay. Well, um, some people will start from the same point as me. They'll try for a while to get an agent and they'll get discouraged. So um, they're definitely a good candidate for self-publishing. But I would say that that there are, I like to break it down into five kinds of writers who are good candidates for self-publishing. And um, a couple of these probably most of your audience, it doesn't apply to them. So, Cause the first main category is if you're a celebrity or a social media star, mm-hmm. you know, who already has all your followers who will buy everything you write, you know, like why give a publisher all the, you know, all your royalties. You That's should really just- interesting that you would put that as the category of self-publishing because most people say those are the most likely candidates to be picked up for traditional. <laughs> you know, they can do whatever they want. Exactly. Well, that is so true. <laughs> yeah, but, but they can make a, you'll find a lot of them are switching now to self-publishing because they get a 70% royalty right. on the self-published book and they only get like 15, 20% That's and cool. probably have to pay an agent you know, 20% as well. well so we put that into the category of business owners too, because if you already have your own existing audience, and maybe that's part of your five, I'll be quiet and let you continue on. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. That's number two, someone who's an expert, you know, a doctor who writes a diet book or a dog trainer who writes how to raise a puppy. They've got their clients, they've got their social media going They're all, They might have YouTubes already out or something. So if you're an expert and you have those credentials and you have a platform, then, um, just as you suggested, traditional publishing might be, a, you know, a good option for you also, but you have your choice yeah. and you might go for the self route um, to save time and money and get a, a better, um, you know, have more control over your work and get, get more of the royalty from mm-hmm. it. Um, so the third one that maybe people in your audience can relate to more is um, writers of genre fiction, fantasy and romance and, and um, uh, 
books that are often written in series mm -hmm. and who develop a, a following. Um, those are, and, and that are um, sold as eBooks, um, mainly sold as eBooks. So, you know, like if you have six romance novels or six fantasies, you publish them all, maybe even all at once, if you've been sitting on a backlog and not able to get them published, you give away the first one for free because you can do that with an ebook or for 99 cents. And then you suck in that person to become a fan. And the next one costs a dollar 99 and on up so that your profits come from the sell through right. of a series, not, you know, you take a loss on the, on the first book. So right. that's a very popular model right now. And um, of course the trick is to, you have to write a good book because to get the, the following, you want people who enjoy that first book and want to keep reading, uh, either keep reading about those characters or sometimes a series is not is not necessarily the same characters in one long epic. It's it's a series by the same author in the same style and right. and, and genre. So um, and then um, a fourth category that I think a lot of people can relate to is someone who who isn't really worried about selling their book or making money. They just want to have a printed book. Maybe it's a memoir or a family history or something that they want printed on their shelf, copies maybe to give to their to their family and friends. And um, to do that in any traditional way, to pay for a printer is very expensive, but to self-publish it, you can do that at a more for a more modest cost. And um, so uh, that's a that's a wonderful option for someone who thinks that um, they just want it's like a private printing. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then I would put myself in the last category. And that is writers who are in a hurry, because <sighs> I don't want to, I'm not getting any younger. Right. <laughs> and, and when I think about when I, you know, I, I spend three years looking for an agent and then I suddenly I think, okay, what if I got an agent tomorrow? She asks me if she's an editing agent, she asks me to rewrite to suit her vision of what will sell. Right. So I take some months to do that. Then she starts shopping it around. And the first editor says, oh, we might buy it, but could you just rewrite it like this? Right. <laughs> and then they don't buy it. It might take two or three years, even to get a contract, if you ever get one. Right. And then it's going to be two to five years in the publisher's pipeline, because there's a backlog right now. So I'm looking at, I could be dead, basically, before <laughs> my book comes out. Okay. And, and I, if I self-publish, I mean, I could slam those puppies into print tomorrow if I wanted. I'm not. I'm going to be very careful, learn everything slowly and step-by-step partly because I blog help for creative writers and I'm going to be sharing what I learn as I move through those steps. So, um, so that, that has me excited. I think a lot of people are, are in the same boat where they just don't want to enter that, that kind of nightmare of, I mean, some people might see it as comforting to be in the hands of an agent who's going to tell you, you know, You'll do better if you make these changes. And then professional copy editors who tell you, you know, the publisher pays for all of that. So yeah. it's a wonderful, those are wonderful benefits of being 
cared for, but um, there's still a lot of responsibility on the part of the writer to do that rewriting. And then once the book is out, whether you self-publish or traditional, the burden is going to be on you to do the marketing for yes. that book. And and of course, a traditional publisher will give you a, a nice boost at the beginning yes. on their on their nickel. So it's another benefit you'll be in their catalogs, their, their sales reps will, will take your book to bookstores and other, you know, you'll get reviewed by the, by the respectable journals and, and that sort of thing will, um, is, is a great benefit, but it kind of depends on what you're writing, whether you really need those benefits or not. Yeah, that's a very good point. And, and I can corroborate this because I have a um, a friend, Casey Whitener, who as a, an agent picked up her vampire book um, months, months ago, and then they are rewriting the entire book. And then, I mean, the process just for rewrites is probably going to be about 18 months and then the whole shopping and all of the things. So yeah, it'll probably be three, four, five years before that book is published. Whereas I actually published one of her books through uh, one of my presses and we were able to publish it in like four months. I mean, we rush publish that. Generally, I take much longer than that, but there is, it's a significant difference. If time is your factor, then, you know, obviously self-publishing or hybrid publishing is going to be a, um, a much quicker route for you to get there. Right. Um, there's another thing that um, traditional publishers do. That's a big relief. They handle all the tech, you know, yes. if, yes, if you have... If you're very uncomfortable or grumpy about learning about publishing technology then you know and social media and that sort of thing then then you're probably going to want to um, look for traditional publishing um, and uh, or you know it, it, some people just want the cachet of having a big five name on their book if, if it's a if it's a status or ego thing you yeah. know, it's a it's legitimate in some circles. It's what kept me from turning to self-publishing because when you work in publishing, self-publishing and you're my of my generation, I don't think this is true anymore. I mean, self-publishing has just become uh, you know, so respectable. Yeah. But it but it hasn't always been. Yes. And and so I had to really do some emotional work yeah. to say, you know what, this is the future for me. And I'm and I'm not going to be defensive or or ashamed of it. I'm going to go for it wholeheartedly as an as a very um, viable uh, option. So so those those are things people have to um, work through. And then there's one more thing that that might um, be a problem for a self publisher, and that's if you write you know quiet literary fiction, a standalone novel, you can publish it yourself, but it's not going to be easy for anyone to discover that you, that you put it up there on the internet yeah. because when they, they don't know the title, they don't know your name. They Google, you know, world war two romance or whatever. And 99,000 <laughs> books are going to come up on Google before, before yeah. yours. No, so yeah. Good point. And I think a lot of do a lot of people do still believe that just getting their book on Amazon is enough and sharing it with their inner circle and things like that. And it's just, it's just not. No. They have those first initial sales, but right. But it might be enough for you, you know? Yes, and exactly. Exactly. 
depending on your goals and what you're trying to get out of it. If all you wanted was to publish a book, then that's all you got to (laughs) do. Right. Um, But then the other thing is uh, the idea of um, making the best product that you can, writing the best book that you can. If you do have more ambitions for your book, Mm -hmm. then all this preparation is going to be essential to have the book look like be indistinguishable from a traditionally published book. You don't want it to look like something a kid wrote and, you know, smacked online. It's got to be professionally copy edited and, and the cover design has to be appropriate to your genre. And that probably means getting some professional help with the cover design and all of the stuff like, um, like when you put it online, learning something about how to list the keywords that mm-hmm. describe your book and get it into the metadata. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to learn some stuff like that to, to optimize the searchability yeah. of, of the book. Um, and so I, my, my expertise is not in those technical areas, although I have done all that before. Um, I don't do it all the time. So every time I get ready to do it, it's like reinventing the wheel. I have to go back in and figure it all out again. But my expertise comes more with preparing your manuscript to be read by an agent or an editor or to be ready to put into print as a self-published work. And um, they're two main areas for that one is the actual writing the grammar you know the structure and i'm not talking about character development or plot or anything like that i'm talking about the the craft the work the the um spelling the punctuation and and then second the formatting the actual the margins the line spacing the font all of this kind of nitty-gritty like I'm more like the carpenter than the fine artist painter, you know, right. and um, but those things are really important because uh, if if your work is not prepared properly, then when you upload it into one of those publishing platforms, it's going to go haywire and it's not going to turn up nicely in an ebook. It's, you know, there are a lot of things that have to happen under the hood to make it to make it a smooth public publishing experience sure. um, or or cosmetically to make it an enjoyable experience for an agent or an editor who's right. who's looking at it. Right. And, you know, there are so many people who offer professional um, formatting at really reasonable prices. We work with a company called Formatted Books and they offer great uh, ones. There's one, Meebel Art, M-I-B-L Art. They do formatting and cover design. There's a lot of companies that can really help you uh, save so much time and energy and provide such a beautiful end result for you at really reasonable prices. So go ahead. A lot of um, copy editors also build uh, quite a lot of formatting Mm-hmm. into their services or they could be add-on services they um they won't they won't do coding but they'll do um styling mm-hmm. which is the you know next best thing because doing the styling allows the the manuscript to be converted easily right. into into the um coded 
product. So yeah, um, anyone hiring a copy editor should ask, will you format this so that it's ready for me to whatever you're going to do next? And um, the, they'll talk, they'll negotiate that with you. But don't not hire them if they don't do formatting. Because oh no, editors that don't format, so that right. would be an expectation to have. No, <laughs> no, it's, it's the same with any copy editor you hire. You really have to ask them a, a lot of questions, and if you're lucky, if they're professional, they'll ask you the questions. Yeah. You know, they'll say, "Do you do you want me to fact check?" Because that's not normally a part of copy editing either. Mm-hmm. That's an extra service, and um, and so they'll they most professional copy editors will have at least a web page that tells that describes their services and and maybe gives you some options and then they're willing also to talk to you either on the phone or by email to to find out what exactly you want and maybe do a sample edit which you would pay for um so that both of you can see whether you feel like they you want them to go ahead and do the whole thing and they can get a sense of how much work you're your manuscript is going to need and give you an estimate for the whole thing. Sounds good. Well, speaking of what, let's get into the next big question, which was if you have decided that you still want to pursue the goal of an agent and the traditional publishing route, and you are preparing a manuscript, let's talk about how that manuscript should be prepared and and what mistakes authors make in that process. Okay. Um, Well, the, the biggest mistake is to fail to go to the website of the person you're submitting to and find out what they want because Mm. almost all agents and editors will or publishers will post on their website um, exactly how to well not exactly how to prepare the manuscript but they'll give the some rough guidelines so to not follow those guidelines is just you know it shows an immediate lack of respect and professionalism and that means every time you send it to someone you have to research that person's preferences i'm always surprised when i see on facebook oh i just sent out a hundred i just sent my manuscript to a hundred agents and i think hmm did they really research each agent not just what what kinds of books they want, because that, of course, is the first thing you would do. I'm, but I'm just talking about they also, they also usually say they want manu- uh, Microsoft Word, or they want a PDF, or they want, you know, they'll tell you. And they'll say they don't want an attachment. They'll say you have to, um, a lot of times now you upload your manuscript to a, or paste it into a, form online and of course then you kind of lose control of a lot of formatting but they know that right so they allow for they allow for that but and they'll say how many chapters they want or how many pages um and so all of that is the first the first mistake is just to barge ahead without carefully looking into who you're sending it to um you know, go to their social media, find out if they're funny or if they're serious, find out, find out exactly what makes they'll, they'll put on manuscript wish list what kinds of things they want to read. Mm-hmm. So you can also research whether they're a likely person for your manuscript. But I would say not researching the recipient is the first big mistake. And, and if they don't have any guidelines, then that's, you know, yay. That means that you can just use your standard 
the one that you've prepared to publishing standards, which I'll talk about in a minute, because there are definitely some conventions that that make a standard manuscript. And um, if you if you follow those basic rules, then most agents and editors aren't going to be shocked or appalled if you you know if they have a preference that you fail to follow. Uh, but but at any rate. Um, yeah, if no lines are available, then the standard the standard format would be double spaced. Don't ask me why, because you know, I mean, I know why. It's because it's a holdover from the olden days, but it but it's still the convention. So, so why not follow it? You, you know, we all know that if you sent in a single spaced submission all an editor has to do is make like three clicks and it'll be double space but why make them do that right. if they ask you to prepare it i mean some of a lot of editors are older they follow they aren't interested in changing their ways they've for decades they have um evaluated manuscripts based on say how many pages it is and the number of pages something is is very different if you single space it and um, or if you use some weird font that can throw off pagination, they're just just do what they say, um, double space it, put a page number on every page, which, again, you think, why it's an electronic document, like who cares about the page numbers, but you'd be surprised how many editors print off pages for one reason or another, you know, that they just want to make marks on a lot of writers still, you know, edit their own work on uh -huh. by printing and and that's another reason for the double spacing originally all manuscripts were edited on paper and they needed space between the lines to make their notes right. and changes so to um and then you print off some pages and you don't you get the pages out of order you just want to you know slit your wrists so <laughs> page number on every page is just really important. Another thing that a lot of writers do that make a manuscript almost unreadable is that they they justify both margins. They make that, you know, I mean the left margin is always straight, but right. if you make if you make the right margin straight, it stretches those lines right. so that there's big spaces in between some words and then it mashes some other lines together. So just always use, you know, never justify that that right-hand margin that's going to look terrible. And then just pick a boring standard font times new Roman 12 point is like the gold standard. So we could argue all day on whether, you know, it's the future or not. But for now, I would say about I, almost every single website I've ever checked for an agent or an editor has said to use that, or they might give one alternative, uh, non, you know, sans serif font right. and they they might allow for um no it's just always it's always a good bet yeah times new roman 12 point yeah so um those are the those are the big mistakes i can think of and then and then of course uh that's on the formatting side but on the preparation side the big mistakes are to are to not not have your work read by by others in order to make it very as readable as you possibly can and grammatical insofar as your work requires you know whatever the grammar of your work is like maybe you have characters who speak ungrammatically right 
but that still requires a, you know, a copy editor's eye because you want to be consistent and you want to be realistic. So um, I'm not saying that your work should all be formal standard English by no means, but, um, but knowing, but almost always in books where the characters might speak in a dialect or a slang, the narration is usually in standard formal English, unless it's first person. So you, you need to, um, a copy editor will keep a close eye on, on the consistency of the tone and stuff like that. And, and when you go astray, they'll, they'll get you back on the right track. Yeah. To that point, I was at the South Carolina Writers Association conference recently, and I met with an agent and I told her, I said, I don't have a book written, but I just wanted to pitch an idea to even see if it would be something you'd be interested at some point. So I pitched her my idea and she said, she, she said this, she said, that sounds like a great idea. There's a market for it. I would enjoy that, but don't send it to me until it is completely written, workshopped, you know, edited, perfected. She was like, I don't want to see anything that's not, you know, ready to go basically. So yeah, they really, they really do want a book that is polished. That doesn't mean it won't get edited again, but that just means that, um, you know, they want polished work. Yeah. And it, it, um, if you're lucky, it will get edited again. I mean, the more eyes, the better. Agreed. Agreed. Um, I, I should say right here that I actually wrote um, a blog post uh, uh, for the Chicago Manual of Style, which I can explain in a second if you want. Uh, just uh, recently, that is um, that should help writers figure out whether they need a copy editor before they submit or not, because. I actually don't think everybody needs one. It's a big expense. Right. And if you're submitting to traditional publishers, if your work is in good enough shape and they're going to copy edit it, mm-hmm. you know, why spend that money? So the um, the blog post is called, Does Your Novel Need a Copy Editor Before Submission? And it's at, um, it's at Shop Talk, CMOS, CMOS, Chicago Manual of Style, CMOS, Shop Talk. Um, the Chicago Manual of Style, which I've worked on the team of for my whole professional life, is published. Um, maybe a lot of you have heard of it. I'm going to hold it up. <laughs> it's it's 1,100 pages. That's a big book. <laughs> of advice for writers. Wow. And, um, you know, it's since 100, since 1906, it's used around the world. It's the it's the style manual that's used by most trade book publishers. Mm-hmm. So it's something every writer should know exists mm-hmm. because this is what their copy editor is going to use right. when they copy edit your book. And um, one of the problems with, with this for creative writers is that CMOS, we'll just call it, or Chicago Manual, was, was written for academic scholars. Uh-huh. Scholars who are publishing in journals and publishing their monographs. So it's only recently that, um, that although fiction writers and editors have been crying for years, please, please make this more relevant 
to us because so much of it is doesn't apply to creative writing. Right. Um, I mean, there are like 200 pages on just how to write footnotes and bibliography. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so what um, Chicago Manual has done in the last uh, four years, they started a section at their blog called Fiction Plus. And okay. there are now about 50 different blog posts that just address um, style and grammar issues that plague writers, oh, uh, creative it. writers. And when I say creative writers, I, I don't mean just fiction, just novelists, but right. also creative nonfiction right. writers, you know? So um, that's the Fiction Plus is I'm, I'm one of the writers at Fiction Plus, And the other one is Russell Harper, who actually has written the last two manuals. Um, he and I d alternate well, actually, he's been really busy with other things lately. So I guess I've written most of them lately. But but it's a whole trove of of good advice for writers. Instead of trying to buy this book and, and read it, you can cherry pick the topics like like how do I um how do I write a text? My characters are texting each other. Oh yeah. How should I format that in my novel? Or or I don't want to use quotation marks for my dialogue. You know, so you can find all. Oh, yeah, there are lots and lots of novels that don't use quotation marks. Wow. It's very common. Um, so it's it's the kind of thing. Or how do I write numbers? Do I spell out these numbers in my novel? Or can I put an iPhone in my novel? Things on fair use and copyright and trademarks right. and stuff like that. So um, that's the kind of thing that that writers, you don't want to spend your time thinking about it, you know, so either you have to learn about it yourself, or you depend on a copy editor to flag those things and sort them out for you. That's really interesting. Well, this has been a fun, uh, this has been a phenomenal interview. I appreciate you sharing all that. I'll make sure that that link to um, the Chicago manual fiction section is in the show notes as well, as well as your website. Um, but where's the best place for people to contact you? Um, I would go to carolsaller.com, but with the caveat that, um, oh, this is such a nightmare. Typepad, my web hoster, uh, crashed last week. No. It was down for a week. I mean, it's up again, but not all the images are loading. I'm terrified. I'm just terrified. I have 10 years and I have like four websites and, and a blog on Typepad and, um, it's very scary, but still you can contact me. Uh, it works. Go, there's a contact, uh, you know, menu item at carolsaller.com. And that will lead you to all of my other blogs and whatever else you want to know about me. Great. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate having you on the show today. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. You don't have to give me Thank you for joining us on the Publisher Podcast. We hope to see you back for the next episode. Great, huge thanks goes to Jasmine Commerce for the use of her song. You can find Jasmine on SoundCloud. Go check out all of her music. We'll see you next time.